Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Fatty Liver or NASH, the Future of Non-Invasive Diagnosis and Assessment, is jointly provided by Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Montefiore Medical Center, and Integritas Communications, and is supported by an independent educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, and welcome to Fatty Liver or NASH, the future of non-invasive diagnosis and assessment. I'm Dr. Ira Jacobson, Director of Hepatology at NYU Langone Health in New York, New York. I'm very happy to be joined today by Dr. Zobair Yanasi, Professor and Chairman of the Department of Medicine at Inova Fairfax Medical Campus in Falls Church, Virginia. Zobair, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Ira. It's great to be with you tonight. Now, before we start the program, I'd like to point out that many of the resources that we discussed today can be found on the Nash Clinical Resources Center on www.exchangecme.com. Today, we'd like to discuss findings from a forum of international Nash experts which focused on the use of non-invasive tests in Nash diagnosis and management. While we encourage you to read more about the full forum findings in our recent publication, today we'd like to highlight the key findings that are relevant to your practice. To develop this program, the chairs, Dr. Yanasi and I, developed seven clinical assertion statements. An international panel of NASH experts presented evidence for each statement. After often lively discussion and debate, the panel voted on the nature of the evidence presented the level of support for the statement, and the level of acceptance of the statement. In this program, we're going to present a series of questions embedded in the clinical assertion statements that clinicians face every day. We'll focus mostly on the level of consensus reached by the expert panel on these themes in order to provide you with key takeaway points applicable to practice. The nature of the evidence and level of support for each statement are discussed more fully in our paper. So, Bear, could you comment on why it's so important to focus nowadays on the use of non-invasive tests or NITs in NASH diagnosis? Well, uh, you know, it's important to recognize that NASH is becoming a very common chronic liver disease. The prevalence of NASH has uh, dramatically increased over the past few decades. In fact, in the United States, about 3 to 6% of general population is, exp- is uh, estimated to have NASH. Within the spectrum of patients with NASH, those that have significant scarring of the liver or fibrosis, they're at risk for for mortality. In fact, those individuals that have uh, a stage 2 or F2 and higher, uh, they're at risk for negative outcomes. It's really not inflammation or grade of steatosis that's a predictor of mortality. It's the stage of fibrosis. Now, of course, stage of fibrosis historically has been defined by a liver biopsy, and liver biopsy is limited because it's invasive, there is sampling error, and there is some enter uh, and enter var- uh, observer variability. Uh, in this context, a number of non-invasive tests have been developed. Uh, some are blood-based, and they use uh, clinical parameters such as age, t- uh, presence of type 2 diabetes. There are indirect uh, measures of, of fibrosis, and there are some direct measures of fibrosis. Uh, some of these are, are very uh, easily available in the internet. Uh, so the, the serum, for example, based tests 
the one that is now approved in the United States, as well as Europe and a number of different countries in the world, is enhanced liver fibrosis test. FIP4, which is an algorithm of clinical data, as well as some laboratory data, is easily available uh, in, uh, in the internet and can be utilized in conjunction with the other test. There are a number of imaging tests that measures basically the stiffness of the liver uh, based on elastography uh, is also available and uh, transient elastography and MR elastography being the the two most common ones uh, uh, available. So because of the importance uh, of of NASH in terms of its impact, its burden, and uh, the fact that biopsy is the only thing that actually can predict the outcome, some non-invasive tests that can replace liver biopsy in terms of staging of fibrosis is important. So the question that I have uh, for you, uh, Ira, is to maybe you can summarize the themes that were covered by the clinical assertion statements that, that you and I and the rest of our colleagues uh, put together and addressed. Yes, of course, Obear. Uh, so the major themes that we covered uh, started with the issue of screening in patients with type 2 diabetes. That is, should all type 2 diabetics be screened for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? We'll talk about that. We talked about the role of non-specialists, namely primary care physicians and endocrinologists in particular, but not necessarily restricted to those entirely in screening for NAFL and the role of transaminase levels in screening with particular attention to the issue of whether patients with normal ALT levels should be uh, included in any screening program that we propose. Uh, We talked about the use of NITs or non-invasive tests uh, to defer liver biopsy or avoid having to do it. Obviously, we can't be biopsying 80 to 90 million American adults, so this is a critical issue. We talked about the sequential and combination uh, use of NITs for diagnosis and whether liver biopsy must be obtained, as is presently uh, stated in the ASLD guidance prior to initiating pharmacotherapy. We talked about the uh, timing of routine monitoring and uh, what the intervals should be between monitoring tests or if it should be done routinely in a longitudinal sense at all. And finally, we talked about a very hot topic uh, that is still being uh, developed, and that is the utility of genetic testing. And with that, Sobear, I think we can go to the first uh, question that we prepared uh, for our audience, and that is, do patients with type 2 diabetes present a high enough risk for NAFLD that all should be screened? So please take it away. They should be screened for fibrotic NAFLD, meaning that if you're actually looking at steatosis uh, in patients with type 2 diabetes, almost every one of them will have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So assessing for just NAFLD uh, is probably not useful because they all, uh, they all have fatty liver. On the other hand, uh, patients with type 2 diabetes are also at risk for fibrosis. So they should be uh, screened for fibrotic NAFLD or NASH. And in this context, really one of the non-invasive tests for fibrosis should be, uh, should be used. Now, uh, let me actually ask you, Ira, about the, the role of uh, non-specialist in the management of NAFLD and NASH. What do you think their role is? Well, in a nutshell, Zobair, their role is critical. I think everybody agrees on that. And there are really two questions encompassed here 
rolled into one. We actually covered this question in uh, two clinical assertion statements. Uh, the first is what test primary care physicians and others like endocrinologists should use. Much of the recent literature, and I think real-world experience, has focused on the use of the FIB4, which is a well-validated non-invasive test for liver uh, fibrosis. And just to remind our viewers, uh, that's just a very simple formula of age times the AST in the numerator and platelets times the square root of ALT in the denominator. And this test has uh, very well-accepted and robust uh, cutoffs for negative and positive predictive values for advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis. Um, this test has been shown to be at least as accurate, if not more so, than the APRI. It's actually more robust than that, and probably comparable to or maybe a little superior to the NAVL fibrosis score, or the NFS. We focused on one study of thousands of patients from the UK in which a FIB4 cutoff of less than 1.3 was used in a primary care setting, uh, to defer referral to a specialist, and a FIB4 score of over uh, 3.25, uh, which warranted referral to a hepatologist. Now, in, in the world of NAFLD, we actually use a score of 2.67 um, for its positive predictive value of about 80% in adva for advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis, but that was the score used in that study. And the authors of that study, which we mentioned in our paper, showed that um, if you... Uh, added for the patients in the gray zone of 1.3 to 3.25, which is a substantial population, actually, um, the enhanced liver fibrosis score, and I'm just giving that now because we'll discuss it later, as an example of, of how you can do sequential testing, it greatly reduced the number of unnecessary referrals, um, and it really resulted in a marked increase in the detection of advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis. So with regard to uh, what tests to use and whether primary care physicians should do it, Yes, the panel consensus was essentially uh, universal. Then we talked about whether patients with normal transaminases should be included in this net of uh, patients, very large population, who should be screened uh, if, if there are risk factors for NAFLD, especially, but not exclusively, type 2 uh, diabetes. And uh, the uh, consensus was that, yes, we should include patients with, elevated AL, uh, with normal ALT levels, it's an important point because the American Diabetes Association and even some published algorithms in the hepatology literature specify that an increased ALT should be a trigger for evaluation. So we were kind of debating that point. And in our paper, we actually cited several studies from around the world, including Asia, Europe, as well as the U.S., showing that in high-risk populations uh, who uh, were screened for fibrosis, especially type 2 diabetics, that mean ALT levels were found to be surprisingly um, low in those with moderate advanced fibrosis in the 28 to 35 unit per liter range. So that's kind of a resounding affirmation uh, for those who would favor this uh, of uh, uh, screening for fibrosis in high-risk patients, even if their ALT levels were normal. In the end, the consensus, the panel, the expert panel was split on whether fibrosis should be considered in patients with uh, NAFLD um, even with metabolic risks, uh, regardless of transaminase levels. And I, I think that's because of the relative uh, paucity of uh, published evidence to support this as a cost-effective approach. Um, I think what everybody would agree on is that normal ALT here, if you're going to not screen based on ALT, 
has to be defined very rigorously. It can't be what your lab tells you is the upper limit of normal. It has to be something like what the ASLD has put forward as a level of 19 for women and 30 for men. I think more, more importantly, uh, Ira, would be the conundrum that we face uh, in this context is that there is a very low level of understanding and knowledge among uh, primary care endocrinologists about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I think there is probably a, a good, uh, a good uh, uh, understanding that they should be screened, these patients, but uh, uh, something else that needs to be addressed is how to raise awareness among non-specialists, especially primary care, where they see the vast majority of patients at risk. Agree. So, Zobair, back to you for the next question, and, and this is something that arises in clinical practice regularly, particularly uh, for uh, the many centers now, increasing numbers of centers that have transient elastography available, and that is whether a transient elastography score uh, that predicts uh, F3 to 4 fibrosis justifies deferral of liver biopsy, or is liver biopsy still necessary? So, Zobair, please address that question for us. Well, I think, you know, for... Uh for stage of fibrosis, even today, liver biopsy remains a gold standard. Um, however, uh, because of all the things we talked about previously, uh, it is really not necessary to do liver biopsy in the vast majority of patients. However, the non-invasive tests do have low positive predictive value. They have suboptimal positive predictive value for, uh, for advanced stages of fibrosis F3 and F4. So if you really, really want to know uh, that, uh, that someone has F3 and F4 at the moment, uh, really uh, deferral of, of liver biopsy cannot be justified. Now, remember, there is another reason to also do liver biopsy, and that's to exclude other liver diseases that could superimpose with, uh, with uh, non-alcoholic fat liver disease, autoimmune hepatitis, iron overload, uh, other types of liver diseases that could exist. So there are, there are some, some, um, some reasons to continue to deliver biopsy. And the panel cons- you know, the consensus was that uh, transgenostography of F3 and F4 does not justify deferral of liver biopsy just because of the suboptimal positive predictive value that, um, that, that, that this uh, test has. So, Bear, I can't resist drawing upon your um, expertise and run a question by you that you and I have discussed. It's based on my experience and that of other colleagues with whom I've discussed this, uh, that often when uh, transient elastography shows a high fibrosis score, that the score is lower on MR elastography. Do you have experience with MR at your institution? And can you just say a word about the role of MR elastography in our patients with NAFI? Yeah, I think MR elastography is probably more accurate than trans elastography. And as you um, as you uh, pointed out, the, the, the biggest problem with the model astrography is access. Uh, and uh, and uh, th- for that reason, I really don't use two different uh, modalities of elastography. Uh, I go to another modality. So, for example, if I have a discrepant FIP4 and, and say, uh, a trend elastography, my next test would be a blood-based uh, fibrosis marker, right, like enhanced uh, liver fibrosis test, and and that's actually a question to you, Ira. What do, what do you think uh, Alf should 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 uh, 
should be? Should it be an alternative to transelastrography in some of our patients in terms of clinical practice? Yes, indeed. Our panel discussed this at, at some length, and uh, this is an important new introduction to the diagnostic armamentarium. For those not entirely familiar with it, this is uh, really a panel of three markers that directly reflect the fibrotic process, and uh, those are hyaluronidase, uh, tissue inhibitor of metalloproteinase uh, 3, and procollagen 3 and terminal peptide. Uh, and uh, there's a proprietary formula that the laboratory that does this applies to these markers once the results are obtained in the lab that gives you a numerical score, um, just like Fib4 or transient elastography do respectively. And there are well-established uh, cutoffs uh, that estimate with a fairly high level of accuracy the degree of fibrosis or lack thereof. So just uh, for example, uh, an ELF or enhanced liver fibrosis uh, score or threshold of 9.8 had a sensitivity and specificity in one study of 72 and 90% respectively for advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis, namely F3 to 4. The reason that uh, we thought this test was worth emphasizing in particular is that it was approved in Europe over a year ago and it was approved in the United States by the FDA uh, back in August 2021, not, not long ago. And uh, interestingly, uh, the literature around uh, this uh, test includes its use as a prognostic marker. Uh, specifically, it's an algorithm, as is stated in the literature on it, uh, to assess uh, not only the likelihood of progression to cirrhosis, but also liver-related clinical events, because there are rich data suggesting that it can indeed be used as a clinical uh, prognosticator. So uh, the interest in it has centered largely on its use as a second-line test in a sequential testing uh, algorithm or strategy. Um, and in a clinical trial that we review in our paper with a high prevalence, uh, in a population with a high prevalence of advanced fibrosis, uh, Fib4 plus ELF compared favorably to Fib4 plus transient elastography. Our panel uh, uh, discussed this at some length and concluded uh, that uh, ELF indeed uh, may provide an alternative to transient elastography. Now, the one thing that I agree with is that uh, the best use of, of, uh, of alphas in conjunction with another test like a FIP4. In fact, prospectively, we've done a study that was published since we had the consensus group uh, here that was published in JAMA. And it showed that uh, using different cutoff points you can of, of FIB4 followed by ALF, you can maximize not only the negative predictive value of advanced fibrosis, but you also can actually maximize to over 95% positive predictive value for advanced fibrosis. So by, by, by looking at the prevalence of, of, uh, of fibrosis in the population and different thresholds for FIB4 and, uh, and, uh, and ALF, you can actually op optimize, uh, op you know, optimize their, uh, their performance. So I think that's how we're going to use it uh, in, in the future. Oh, very good. So let's go on to the next question. And this also comes up in practice every day, which is whether a liver biopsy is essential, as suggested in the ASLD guidance document from 2018, before initiation of pharmacotherapy. Well, I think, uh, you know, we just want to make sure that we understand sort of the context. If we do, uh, uh, if we are assessing someone for pharmacotherapy in the context of clinical trial, then clinical trials do require a liver biopsy, at, the, at least at the moment. Outside a clinical trial, when you're looking at sort of uh, potential treatment um, with uh, pharmacotherapy or even weight loss and, and, and lifestyle management, 
um, at least uh, NITs will give you a better sort of uh, a better uh, insight about the prognosis of this patient or that's in front of you. So you can utilize, of course, uh, you know, the, the NITs that we just talked about. Now, there is also uh, FAST and, and NIST 4 tests. Uh, these are a combination. FAST is actually AST cap and uh, 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 NIST 4 is a, a test that's actually uh, uh, now, now is also available that not only can give you some assessment of fibrosis, but also activity, which has historically been measured by uh, or assessed by presence of steatohepatitis, which is really only a histologic diagnosis. Uh, now, regardless of of, uh, of which test you use, there's going to be you know about a third of patients that fall in the indeterminate zone that you can't really call about uh, call them as high risk. So, uh, in, in this context, for most patients, I think th- you could probably use an NIT to predict uh, um, long-term sort of outcome and, and, and potential uh, um, clinical events. So the consensus panel is probably more aligned with the uh, feeling of, of other experts in this field. And at least the, the panel uh, decided that, that liver biopsy is really not essential prior to initiating pharmacotherapy. And I think you have to act, sort of consider what are some of other comorbidities that you're dealing with and, and what are that also can, uh, can play a role in terms of risk and benefit of the drug that you're using before considering a liver biopsy or not. But I wouldn't use it universally before making a decision at this point. So, can I, if I can add one question to that, uh, you know, the other reason, arguably, that one might want to do a biopsy if you suspect advanced fibrosis is to determine whether the patient needs to be screened uh, every six months for HCC, which we know is a big risk in uh, NAFLD patients with, uh, with cirrhosis. Uh, this gets into the whole question of whether F3 patients be, should be screened. But without going into all of that, um, do you think there's an argument that could be made that that, that can solidify your intent or uh, feeling perhaps that you don't need to, to do screening for HCC? Yeah, obviously that would be if the patient really wants to know and if you really want to be certain, liver biopsy is, of course, the only way to determine that. However, if I have a patient with... Uh, uh, two tests, a FIB4 or transgenelastrography, uh, or a FIB4 followed by an ALF test, and they both are consistent with very high uh, degree of fibrosis. And I really consider F3 and F4 as sort of advanced fibrosis, and they both are probably at risk for HCC. Uh, without liver biopsy, I do screen down those patients. They are, at least in my practice, considered as a high risk for HCC, and they are screened. Yeah, I'm pretty expansive about that, too. Right. Right. So I think, you know, one of the things that, that, that NITs have not clearly uh, established is whether you can use them for, uh, for monitoring. Uh, however, this is, uh, this is sort of a grown field. Uh, the, what are these NITs have the power to, to detect small changes in fibrosis or can actually uh, predict either regression or progression of fibrosis. So w- what do you think, uh, Ira, about uh, NITs and what it should be used to monitor patients? Yeah, in our paper, we do cover some published evidence indicating that increases in NIT values really are associated with increased risks, not only of histologic progression, uh, but also clinical progression. Uh, but this includes, but is not limited to elastography. It also includes some of the serum markers. Um, conceptually, of course, it's very easy to accept the idea that an increase in NIT values uh, might well have prognostic uh, significance. 
and or uh, dictate changes in management, perhaps, uh, you know, going from conservative management with lifestyle interventions to pharmacotherapy, um, as well as issues like screening for HCC, which we discussed briefly before. Now, we all agree that progression is uh, usually slow. Um, We know from a large meta-analysis that we cover in our paper that one-stage progression in fibrosis in a large study population of those who started with NAFL alone without uh, steatohepatitis had a mean of 14 years to go from one stage to another, and with NASH it was half that, seven years. Um, But in that study that I just quoted, 20% of the patients were actually outliers who had rapid progression from stage zero to stage three or four within a much shorter time period covered by the study. And as in uh, other studies, uh, the major predictors of progression included an inverted AST to ALT ratio, and importantly, the presence of hypertension, uh, not to mention type 2 diabetes that has unequivocally been associated with faster progression in many published studies. Um, So the panel consensus here was indeed to perform non-invasive tests, and we had quite a bit of discussion about what the intervals should be, because that's obviously subject to debate. This statement in itself was not accepted by all the panelists, but I think it's fair to say that the disagreement was not so much with the concept of serial monitoring, but with what the intervals should be, because I I think one can argue, for example, whether a patient with NAFL alone, NAFL without steatohepatitis, really needs to be monitored every year. Um, There was certainly general agreement that type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, or the finding of an elevated AST to ALT ratio um, may warrant, in fact, does warrant more frequent screening. And Zobair, this is a question that I've picked your brain about repeatedly over the last few years uh, when I've uh, wondered about the role of genetic testing because there are, are some genotypes, as you well know, uh, that uh, are definitely associated with uh, not only steatohepatitis but potentially rapid progression to clinical complications. So uh, we did pose the question uh, in our clinical assertion statement meetings uh, of whether genetic testing has a role in NASH evaluation and management. Can you please comment on that? Yeah, so yeah, obviously there are uh, a number of, of, uh, of uh, gen- genetic tests uh, uh, that have been used uh, uh, to at least associate with progressive liver disease or, or uh, adverse outcomes, including HCC and, and uh, um, uh, advanced fibrosis. Uh, PNPLA3 is uh, the one that's been most uh, commonly uh, referred to, uh, associated with, uh, with advanced fibrosis. And, and there are actually genotypes that, that, that are quote-unquote protective against adverse outcome. The unfortunate situation is that these studies are not prospective. Uh, they're not large, large cohorts of patients. Uh, so, so their validity in, uh, in, in terms of, uh, of uh, uh, predicting outcome has really not been established. There is a low sensitivity for some of, the, some of these tests in terms of prediction of both risk of fibrosis and HCC. So, the panel discussed this, and, and we all agreed that, that genetic testing currently to stratify patients is really premature at this point. So, and, and to, you know, uh, truthfully, in, in clinical practice, I don't use these tests, but they're quite interesting, and maybe in the future they will have a, a role uh, in terms of individualized sort of assessment and management of these patients. So how much is the thought that it's premature 
related to the fact that the information would not be therapeutically actionable. Is that really the issue? And are these analyses being done uh, retrospectively in some of the clinical trials going on with therapeutic drugs so that we might indeed stratify patients' responses by genetic uh, profiling? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think in the future, if there is going to be effective treatment, there would probably be, will be uh, you know, uh, biomarkers that will, that will accompany those treatments to stratify who's going to be a responder or a non-responder, and maybe genetic testing will have a role. Uh, I think at this point, the evidence is not strong enough to really put this in, in clinical practice. Let me just actually, if you, if you don't mind, Ira, just, just to summarize some things that, that we talked about today, and then maybe it was, uh, maybe you can then uh, uh, close with some, some, some points at the end, that the manuscript that we have really concludes that, that uh, NITs have uh, really a crucial role in the management of NAFLD and NASH. And, and it seems like actually a combination of blood-based NITs and some of the uh, sort of those uh, clinical algorithms that are available on the internet uh, by primary care physician endocrinologist to identify high-risk patients and refer those to liver specialists would be key. It seems to me that a combination of either uh, a, a FIB4 followed by either a translastrography or ALF or, or even a model astrography could give us a pretty good predictive value of uh, not only excluding advanced fibrosis, but also including uh, advanced fibrosis with a high positive predictive value. Uh, At least in 2022, the role of liver biopsy is very, very uh, limited. Uh, It should be used, of course, for those who go for clinical trials. Uh, If you suspect another superimposed liver disease, of course, that's the uh, situation liver biopsy would be important. It's really not ab- absolutely required to do a liver biopsy prior to pharmacotherapy outside clinical trial. And, and it seems that at least our panel agreed that some periodic uh, monitoring using uh, transblastography and possibly even other tests such as ALF uh, can be justified in the future. At least as we just discussed, uh, Ira, genetic testing is uh, currently a little bit premature to be uh, widely recommended, but but we know this is all Coming, uh, coming down the pike. Thank you, Zobair. Uh, so a few final points for our audience. First, thank you very much for joining us and watching our program today. Uh, please do see our publication to review additional data and takeaways that we think you'll find uh, very valuable in your practices from the forum discussion. Uh, please remember to take the post-test and fill out the CME evaluation. So, Bear, it's always been a privilege to have the opportunity to work with you and, and indeed to be a friend and colleague over the years and very much enjoyed doing this with you as well today. Thank you. I'm here, Ida. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Montefiore Medical Center, and Integritas Communications, and is supported by an independent educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.